Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Before we get into today's show, I have to say a few things about Tom Petty, who died suddenly and unexpectedly earlier this week at the age of 66. A poster of Tom Petty hangs in my dining room, which doubles as my recording studio for Independence Day, looking down on all I do. There are a handful of musicians that mean more to me, but none of them are more important than Petty was to how I go about my life in music. Petty was the North Star by which I navigated. WWTPD, I asked myself on countless occasions when stuck on a lyric or putting together a band. Petty and his stalwart band, including guitarist Mike Campbell, keyboard player Ben Montench, both of whom are utterly incapable of playing anything but the exact right thing, as well as drummer Steve Ferroni, bassist Ron Blair, multi-instrumentalist Scott Thurston, as well as Howie Epstein and Stan Lynch, were the quintessential American rock band. Loose but tight, loud and soft, they were everyone everywhere and solely themselves, which is why their appeal remains as big as it is. Petty and the gang were there when I was a quirky kid first listening to the radio, when I got my first car, when I lucked into my first kiss, when we danced around my living room in college, when I moved to the city, started a band, moved around the country and started another band and then another. He was there last Monday night at the Hollywood Bowl when I ended up seeing what would be their final show. When I heard the news yesterday, I felt as if I'd been struck by a dozen arrows. I invited some friends over to record a Petty song to help work through our grief and shock. Together, we recorded three takes of Petty song Walls and then jammed on as many Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker songs as we could remember. I've been playing Petty's song Walls since shortly after it was released. He had numerous bigger hits over a decades-long career, but to me, Walls is the perfect Tom Petty song. Instantly catchy, somehow simultaneously five miles deep and one foot wide, and five miles wide and one foot deep, and every word and chord is in the exact right place. There is some love, some ache, some hope, and some understated philosophy. We learned later that Petty had slipped away during our impromptu jam. You can find that video on the Independence Day YouTube page, and on it you can hear what I sound like when I sing while trying desperately to maintain my composure. As Petty wrote in a different context, part of me you carry, part of me is gone. Condolences to the Petty family and their friends, the heartbreakers, and to all of us who have lost the man who wrote the soundtrack to our lives. Thank you, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. As for me, I'll never, ever forget you. I don't think anyone will. Davey and the Midnights are a band. Sure, Davey Allen's name is featured front and center, and for good reason. His tight vibrato tenor and accessible songs are the focal point of the ensemble. But the Midnights are a band like Tom Petty's Heartbreakers or Bruce Springsteen's East Street Band. Something special happens when they get together and settle into a groove. And although their music is billed as a sort of countrified rock, there certainly is a pocket to what they do. Once they get going, the band sits somewhere in the middle ground between the Grateful Dead and Little Feet, with a bit of traditional West Coast country mixed in. 
Alan strums the acoustic guitar while he sings. Guitarist Greg Cahill's Telecaster picking owes more than a casual nod to Jerry Garcia without wandering off on extensive and meandering improvisational explorations. Brandon Conway's pedal steel employs a bit of the shimmery Leslie rotating speaker effect, making his instrument sound akin to a Hammond B3 organ at times. Corey Dawson's loping bass lines anchor the band and explore spaces for stepping out with an appropriate lick, and Alan's childhood friend Mike Mambo Sanson's snappy work on the drum kit provides an edgy rock and roll spark that keeps everything moving. These young players are fine instrumentalists, and the sum of their talented parts really does make a synergistic whole. Davey and the Midnights haven't yet released their debut album, but they sound as if they're long past their sophomore jinx. It doesn't hurt that Alan's day job is playing keyboards for the legendary Eric Burden of the Animals. Alan obviously is learning from one of the best and carrying the torch with style and aplomb. Welcome to Independence Day, Davey and the Midnights. Sitting with me, Davey, Alan. How are you, Davey? Doing great. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for coming in, man. I appreciate this so much. Like my, one of my favorite things to do is to talk to musicians. So I'm always so grateful. I mean, musicians are busy people. So I'm always so grateful when any musician decides that they're willing to come spend some time with me and talk about how they do what they do. So let's talk about how you do what you do. Cool? Sounds great. All right, let's get a little bit of what I call the baseball card right off the bat. Like, tell me, you're a Midwesterner as well. I'm a Midwesterner. So where are you from exactly? Monticello, Indiana. And tell me where that is in the world for people who are in Los Angeles and have never been. It's a flyover state for them. It is completely a flyover state. If you drive a truck, you've probably been through there. But I'm smack dab between Indianapolis and Chicago, small rural town, Monticello. They say it wrong. It's Monticello. Right. But everybody there says Monticello, yeah. Indiana. There's a lot of those mispronunciations. Even here in, Los, even, uh, in L.A., Los oh, yeah. Feliz. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't be Los Feliz. And we had one. I went to college in Decatur, Illinois. Beautiful yeah. Decatur. Uh, and we had a street called El, what should be El Dorado, but they called it El Dorado. Yeah, logically. So even in, Los Angeles itself, Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles, <laughs> city of angels. <laughs> so now tell me this: what? Like, let's keep up with this baseball card thing. I just want to get to know you in terms of like uh-huh. what made you who you are as a human before we do some music here. And we've got some great songs coming up, so people stick around for this. Uh, like, what kid were you in high school? Were you a sports kid? Were you a music kid? I think that's where the split happened, was I, I was always a, an athletic kid, uh, grew up in a sports family, uh, didn't have musicians around, uh, but there was a time where all of a sudden I discovered music, became a fan of music, uh-huh. and because it wasn't a part of my family, it was like I was discovering all these things as a young man right. for the first time, classic rock and roll, the, the, the vibe was there, I was becoming indoctrinated by rock and roll basically right. around that time. Now, was this high school? It was high school, yeah. Okay. And how had you already played an instrument at that point, or did you? that's when you started playing, too? I, I started playing about that time. I started playing piano. My, my dad's second wife, he, uh, they had a piano, and it was around the house, and I just started plucking away and kind of figuring it out as I went along. I was a trombone player before that. Okay. I, I knew bass clef, but I didn't know treble clef. Right, right. I had to teach myself treble clef. Did you go through the whole thing in grade school, like in my high school? I moved from a private school to public schools, and the private school had no money. It wasn't like a wealthy private school. It was like a Catholic private school. Uh-huh. So we had no money, um, no music program to speak of. So we, when I went to a public school, it was actually a really nice public school system in suburban Chicago. And like every ki- I came in in fifth grade, and all the other, I'm sorry, in sixth grade, but in fifth grade, all the other kids had gone through the thing where they, like, they picked their instrument. Right. Like, did you go through that kind of thing? Exactly. Too? Yeah. We, we all we all got into the art room, I believe it was. Yeah. And they had everything laid out. And oh, can you? I, I yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to be a sax player. Of course. But but I I couldn't make the noise with the reeds, so I, I could I could with my lips, yeah. you know. So they're like, oh, you're you're either going to be a trumpet or trombone. And I right. said, well, I'll do the trombone. 
So it's it's funny to me because I always ask people like in, when you wind up with an instrument like that, you know, is that the short straw or the long straw? <laughs> well, the trombone's you know, the long one. For you sure. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. who, you, did you draw the good thing? Is that the good choice or the bad choice? You know. But the thing is, like trombone, you know, it's it's a it's a. I never could figure out the hand. Yeah, the thing. It's the intonation part, yeah. I, and I guess I didn't. You know, at the time, I had no idea about it. But but luckily, I had a great trombone instructor. Uh, who was very particular about intonation and yeah. finding the different spots on the slide and, yeah, and positions, so, I guess. Now, you had a, a predisposition for music, obviously, even though, like, so did your parents even play music? Or they must have played some music around the house. Uh, my dad's a, a music fan, okay. but but doesn't play an instrument. I mean, I, I found out later in life he played bass one time in a Charlie Daniels cover band, which I had never heard of that for years well, and years something. and years. That's something, but there was no instruments around the house. Nobody was singing on a regular basis, just a, a fan of but definitely, my dad was a fan of yeah. music. So he didn't have like a dusty Fender bassman and an old P bass like in the garage no, underneath the tarp no, or anything. That that would have been a dream of mine, but no, yeah. no, nothing like that. Because like I remember, you know, I was I always had bands like from the moment I could, you know, eighth grade or freshman year or whatever, and then. I, but we had a neighbor who was really he loved it that I had bands because you know we would we had a separate garage from our house in out in the in the cornfields of suburban Chicago and like uh -huh. that's that's where my band would rehearse and in the summertime we'd open up the door, you know when you're a teenager you know you're kind of an idiot you don't think about the fact that you're disturbing everyone in the neighborhood exactly. playing your Bachman Turner Overdrive covers, <laughs> um, but he had you know he was really encouraging he was and which was good because he was immediately next to us yeah and because he had he had been a musician when he was younger he had bunch of guitars. He didn't play them at all anymore, but they were literally like dusty and under a tarp uh -huh. in his garage. No, the, cl the closest thing I had to that was I, I started playing in church when I was young. It wasn't really my choice. I just started doing it because right. it was happening and I was supposed to be there. And now they had classic microphones stored away in the church. So I did have like an outlet where I could find old guitars, find old microphones and equipment, but it wasn't at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, Everybody's different about their high school experience with music because that's the time, you know, unless you were like a Suzuki kid, you know, where they sat you down and you, like you learned the scales when you were four. Mm -hmm. Like most people I talk to, both just on the show and in general in my life, really, music really became a thing for them in high school. Like if they were playing before that, maybe they weren't super dedicated, but then because in high school, like think of the changes you're going through in your life. You're like, you're, your universe is expanding and you're, you're um, becoming sentient. Mm -hmm. less and less reliant on your parents you're developing your own you, know, you always had your own personality but now you're really you're gone for hours a day mm -hmm. and you're really developing your own personality and like your music starts to become personalized at that point it's not just the stuff you heard from your parents which you may either like or you may rebel against mm -hmm. you know it gives you some kind of like true north you know what I mean I, I, yeah once you're finding yourself I definitely see that being able to uh, being able to have your own voice is one thing being able to speak that voice to right. the world is something else completely. Right. Let's play a song from your first record. When we come back, we'll talk more about like how you make that arc because most, like a lot of people are music fans, but mm -hmm. not everyone's a musician. So I want to talk about that next. But before we do, I want to play a song. You had a record come out before the Midnights. The Midnights is your new band. Very new. Uh, and great musicians. Four, four piece band, uh, or electric guitar player, pedal steel, drums and bass. Good dudes. Good dudes. You're going to hear some tunes from them in a little bit. Um, but this song uh, is called Big Mama from your eponymously titled Davy Allen record. Correct. And what's different, real quick, what's different about that as opposed to The Midnights, stylistically? Stylistically, it's more bluesy. Okay. The, the Midnights is definitely more country influence. Okay. Um, the uh, Big Mama is almost like a persona I was 
going for like like, like a red bone a red bone type of situation mm-hmm. where I was putting on uh, Big Mama especially um, it epitomizes this like barrel house lifestyle that I was fixated on at the time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And country and blues are kissing cousins. There's some overlap, but they're not necessarily the same thing. They're not. They definitely hang out occasionally, but they're, they're yeah. not the same. Yeah, we'll talk about the stylistic changes, too, when we come back after this. So uh, welcome to Independence Day. As always, I'm Joe Armstrong. This week's guest, Davey and the Midnights. You can learn about them at Davey and the Mid... I'm, yeah, it's, no, it's just, yeah, DaveyandTheMidnights.com. It's not Davey Allen and the Midnights. DaveyandTheMidnights.com. Also, Davey Allen Music, if you want to see the first record that you did. That's what, that's what this would come from, this song. Uh, and they're also on Facebook. You can follow them on Twitter, Davy underscore Allen. You know where to find them. Everybody can they can work their thumbs just fine. So, Davy Allen, this is the song Big Mama on Independence Day. I come home late from the party. Warm and ask where I've been. Don't tell my woman I've been gambling tonight with my good time having friends. Don't tell her I've been drinking. Don't you tell her I've been smoking too. Don't you tell her I've been up all night. Rubbing all up on you That's Davey Allen playing the blues from his first record. It's eponymously titled, obviously, Davey Allen is what that record is. You can pick that up at the website, DaveyAllen.com, correct? Correct. Still got copies of that hanging around? Oh, yeah, we got copies, and it's uh, Spotify, all that. It's available. Just type it in your Google searches. It was a weird thing when I got my, my Pandora channel. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it, it, it's cool. You know, it feels nice to have your, it's like having your own little private radio station. But yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, like, I don't know what yours is like, but like, because I'm not Tom Petty, even though I'm very much in the vein of like Tom Petty and Sunvolt and Wilco and those like rocky alternative, you know, alternative country bands, like they won't play that on there because it's a different tier. Uh-huh. Like I get pulled in with a bunch of other folks like myself who no one's ever heard I, of before. You know, I haven't played 
paid close enough attention. I probably should, but yeah, Pandora was a bigger thing. It kind of went away when Spotify became the thing. Mm-hmm. Like Pandora was like an earlier version of that. And it used to didn't have commercials. It was better. Ugh, commercials. Got to make that money. Anyway, so good stuff. Good stuff. I'm Thank happy you. to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Um, love talking to musicians. And uh, we're going to hear some live music here in just a little bit. But we were talking about like you in high school, right? Were you, uh, so you'd, you'd kind of discovered music and you discovered it was something you kind of, you were t- tinkering on the piano. You could already read music a little bit. A little bit, yeah. From the trombone. A bit. Now, when you started playing keyboard instruments, piano specifically, did you then also like start with the written page of music or did you just start farting around? No, and I still can't. Um, I can a bit. Like if you have a jazz fake book or if you have something where I can chord and I can play a little melody line over it, I can uh-huh. do it. But as far as like an right. actual piece of music, right. no way. Well, it's very different. Music becomes like rock and roll is in, uh, like an oral tradition, A-U-R-A-L. Yes, right. of course. Um, you know, we write out lead sheets and, you know, s- stuff can be written out. But even like the Eagles, like I remember as a kid, like going to the record store, shows me my age, my generation, but you go to the record store and they would have like sheet music you could buy. Uh-huh. And you could buy like the Eagles' greatest hits and like someone, but that wasn't the Eagles, like someone had to transcribe that. Right. Right. And it was always so frustrating because that's how I learned like major seventh chords and stuff like that. But they put the little block diagrams. I went through like, uh, I think my first time learning music was going through like a Disney songbook and just learning how to strum chords and to go through. I've always been someone who played an instrument, not to be proficient at the instrument, but rather to back up my voice and back up what I had to say. So it never yeah. really occurred to me to sit down and learn these long pieces of piano music. Just I, Maybe I could do it if I gave it the time. I just never have. It's funny that you say that because I've said that same thing my entire career. And it's funny because, I mean, this isn't entirely true. I say I learned the guitar to, to accompany my voice. And so I could write songs. So like I had, I had to have some kind of like instrument with which to do these things. I mean, I didn't want to just be the singer who was like jumping around. Even though that was very popular... When I was growing up, the Robert Plant, the David Lee Roth, the like the jumping around singer guy. Like I didn't really want to do that. Like I wanted to be like more useful and I wanted to be self-contained, you know, and guitar was the easiest way for me to do that. And I certainly loved and continue to love the guitar as an instrument. Mm-hmm. But the initial seed of that, I think, was because I was a singer. I sang like as long as I could remember. Were you also singing at that point? As I, a I was singing, yeah. I was singing from before I could play an instrument i was finding cassette tapes i was writing songs i was singing oh wow okay i was singing songs before i played an instrument just i mean i'm it's probably embarrassing wherever they are but they're floating around i've had people tell me oh i've got a cassette of you as a young man just singing and yeah so they're around it's funny to draw like those little lines between things you did when you were a kid and then what you wind up doing as an adult because I did the same exact stuff. Like, you know, we would i was like i said i'm playing the first thing i tried to do like before after learning Pink Floyd songs was learning to try and write my own songs. And the first ones were terrible. It took a long time. You know, it wasn't the Beatles. The Beatles, it seems like right out of the gate, were writing great music. But <laughs> How does that work? They were anointed or something. Well, like yeah, there's sure. a reason they're the biggest band in the world. Yeah. There's a reason. Uh, but, uh, but you draw those lines because another thing that I did was I would make little like radio plays. Like we had a little, like a tabletop cassette deck you know, at the clicky buttons and I, we would sit and like my buddy would come over and spend the night and we would like, and I'd like kind of like we'd have some improv and we'd write out scripts and we'd interview each other and like make up these elaborate like same Star Trek based radio yep dramas I can remember like having a a talk show with a friend of mine Pete Pete Downey and we would we would have a a guest who wasn't actually there one of us would pretend to be someone we knew right you know and then we'd interview each other it was a blast 
And and the funny thing is like just the memories thinking about it even now, like it to me that I took that much more seriously than I did my chemistry test. <laughs> right? And or my history test, even though I love history, that you can draw a direct line to mm-hmm. what I'm doing in my life even now, in my advanced age. Yeah. Kidding, of course. Uh, Those seeds are planted early. Yeah, that's the whole point. I was making a joke about my advanced age. Um, so a crappy one at that. So now in high school, you said you were kind of a sports kid, but now you're starting to get into music. Yeah. Like in, in your high school, could those were those things, could they peacefully coexist? Because in my high school, they did not. Definitely. I definitely started uh, the athletic part, though I was still, I guess, interested in sports. I didn't play organized sports anymore. And uh, But at my high school, you could. It was small enough that uh, you kind of had to, you kind of had to, and but luckily, uh, we had a great arts program, a great band, it's great theater the program. It's it's really great because there's well, there's not a lot of culture, so you have to cultivate that from a very, um, very localized mentality. You, you, a small town might have a small theater where they put on a production once every six months. So if you're someone who's interested right. in, in theater, well, then you're going to go out of your way to be a part of that small production because it's your only right. outlet. It's the only thing. Yeah. It's the only gig in town. And you're right, though. I mean, I really, I guess I can't speak to other parts of the country, but like so many people I've met from the Midwest, people I continue to know and love today, uh, came out of a tradition, like there's an arts tradition in the Midwestern school system where it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have relatives in the South and they, a lot of them, don't really have a music program. It's like there's a high school right at the end of my block, Glendale High School here in California, uh, where the world uh, headquarters of the Independence Day here is. And like I hear the marching band rehearsing uh, in the early part of the, you know, through the middle of summer, which I love. Uh-huh. And then on Friday nights, it's up there. And I always go up to one game. I don't really care about the football game. I just, and I didn't really care about the band that much, but I just want to like feel that experience of that high yeah. school experience. And like their marching band is small for the high school. And their high school is way bigger than mine, but there are fewer kids in that program. And now we're also talking decades on, but back then, I don't know. It's, there were a lot of kids. It seems like a major percentage of my classmates were in bands somehow yeah. or another. Oh, it's it's and everybody because one person does it. I guess for me, it was never the uncool thing to do. It was always yeah. the cool thing to be in theater, and also be a football player. And our school's small, so a lot of times the the quarterback was also playing defense and he was also the very uh, next yeah. night so playing really the lead l- the lead in the the play or the musical was ever yeah so he done. was so on see on friday night he would be the quarterback and then on saturday night he would be tevia in fiddler on the roof exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's so different i love hearing about everyone's different experience because in my high school i mean I, I, i'm hyperbolizing a little bit but it was like warring factions because there were a lot, you know, there wasn't a big school. I guess there were about 800 kids in my school, 800 mm-hmm. to 900 kids. And that's enough to have a big music program. We had a big music program, and there's always sports. But, like, there wasn't that much overlap in my school. There was, like, one kid who was really in demand in sports and then also kind of in demand musically. And, like, you could practically see, the like, the, the teachers, like, fight over this kid. Like, when they're, every now and again, there would be, like, some big meet when we had our big show, and it was, like, a big deal. Same for the gym because we didn't have a we didn't have an auditorium. Yeah, so we had like a gym gymtorium where the like the upper gym it comes would, doors would open and then there would be a kind of a stage, but it's really a gym. Anyway, that's old, a, that's pretty old school. Yeah, it is old school. People don't want to hear about my story here. We're here yeah. to talk about you and your your uh, your story here. So my guest this week on Independence Day, Davy Allen. His band is Davy and the Midnights. Uh, great musicians. You're going to hear a live song from them in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're talking about his background a little bit. So take me now. So now you're like tinkering on the piano. Mm-hmm. 
And like how you're writing songs. Yeah, I've been writing point, songs. Yeah, at, at this point in your life. And then you know, did you? Because we had to like kind. I had to kind of coax other friends to start a band. Like I had to kind of like. We even convinced because we needed a bass player. So we uh-huh. convinced this one kid's parents to buy him a bass and an amp. And now it's, we needed a bass player. So like, were you? Did you have friends also like right out of the gate that were doing I had, music? In fact, Mike, who plays in the Midnight's, uh, I guess you'll hear him later. He, him, and I were like. Oh, we're in band together. We're realizing that we have a love for music. So I think it was pretty natural. I, he's the drummer. I, I wanted to play bass. My friend Pete, who before we were making fake interviews with our cassette tapes, right. uh, and now we're fighting over who's going to play the bass. And he just, you know, he, I don't know how, but he became the one that was going to play bass. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to play guitar. Right. And uh, I ordered a Roy Clark, or my grandparents rather, ordered a Roy Clark signature guitar, mail order from the Grand Old Opry on like, you know, That's Saturday totally night. Totally legit. What a yeah. great story. Yeah. We were just sitting there and I was like, I think I need to learn how to play guitar. And so they just called the number right there and it was like a few weeks it was there. Was that the one with the little stickers with the numbers that you actually stuck yeah. on the, the I, uh, I never used them because I got them out. I didn't know how yeah. I was going to use them. I, I had no knowledge of the guitar. And like earlier I said, my parents neither did they, so there's no one to teach me. So yeah. I, the stickers were too much, but I figured it out. If it, once I yeah. got it tuned, I started to figure it out. Uh, and you've done well with it. You've got a record. You uh, We haven't even touched upon like the fact that you work as a sideman. We'll, we'll get into all those things. Let's hear a live song first. I want to get right into this here. What's this first song we're going to hear? Uh, I think it's Old River? Yeah, Old River. About It's about um, the Tippecanoe River. I grew up on the Tippecanoe River. It, it leads into the Wabash River and into the Ohio huh? and yeah. leads all the way to the Gulf. John Hyatt writes about the Wabash River in one of his songs. Uh-huh. So he's also a he's Hoosier. In, yep, Indiana boy. Uh, lots of good musicians from Indiana. John Mellencamp, probably the most well-known, Seymour, yeah. slightly south of Indianapolis from, from where you are. Folks even older than you, Joe, will know Cole, <laughs> Cole Thanks Porter. Thanks for that, by the way. Cole Porter. Cole Porter, perhaps greatest. you've heard of Cole Porter. Yeah. Uh, anyway, lots of good stuff. There. I like, you know, it's funny. You know, as coming from Indiana, like, or excuse me, coming from Illinois, Indiana was kind of like, like our little brother state. Because uh-huh. we're very similar oh, yeah. people-wise. But you guys, you know, you don't have a city like Chicago. But if you take away Chicago, Illinois is exactly like Indiana. Yeah. Full of cornfields, full of farmers. Carbondale. Carbondale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, college towns. Yeah. College towns and farmers. Anyway, all right. So this is uh, Davey and the Midnights. Uh, the band, by the way, uh, who was not here, they were here for the songs, but they had to split their drinking beer at the bar right now, I think. Uh, Greg Cahill, he's playing electric guitar, also singing. Brandon Conway playing pedal steel and singing some as well. Corey Dawson on the electric bass, and Mike Mambo Sanson on drums, the guy we've been referencing who's from your hometown as well. So this is Davey and the Midnights. The song is Old River on Independence Day. I'm starved for starlight. I can't find you my peace of mind My peace of mind I've crossed the limit Misplaced my moonbeams I'm so unwise I'm so unwise Oh Why do you flow? Where 
My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you ever so much for doing so. I know there's a lot of competition for your entertainment time and entertainment dollar. Now, you can't beat Independence Day for your entertainment dollar because it is 100% free, always has been. That's a ton of great music for free. Please drop by indepthday.com to hear almost 200 episodes of some of the best musicians I've known and good people. Uh, I love, you know, that's one thing I've definitely found as I've gone through my journey in the music business is that great musicians are oftentimes good people. This week's guest, Davey Allen, is no exception. Davey, thank you. I appreciate that so very much for coming on coming on the show, sharing your music, sharing your gifts. It it's, uh, means a lot. Uh, and I hope you guys are digging this, too. We're, um, I'm loving talking to him. So uh, great music, by the way. Uh, and that's like the, probably the most ballady thing we're going to hear today. Beautiful pedal steel solo, a little nice, uh, delicious. These guys all have great old amps. Uh, too, which is another thing. It's another passion of mine. 
Uh-huh. It's cool old gear. Uh, okay, so now let's take. We're let's let's we're gonna get through this biological or, or biographical part here. Uh, you're in high school. You're like you're writing songs. You've got at least one buddy. Yeah. On board. And what's like the first song that you guys that, that when you have like a band? What's the? Do you remember the oh, first song that you played? The first song was it was it was a wipeout. Okay. So there was no there was no. We probably wrote a song. I don't remember. I was writing songs. We were playing them. But the first song that we performed. It was kind of like the gym you were describing, where the gym went into the the um, theater part. It yeah, was yeah. the Burnettsville Beehive, very small, smaller than my town, and we were up on the stage uh, playing Wipeout. Yeah, it was probably Wipeout. So that was your first, <laughs> even before, that's your first gig song. That's the first gig song, Interesting. Yeah. And that's a great song for high schooler kids. I'm sure we played that, too, because it's like really <laughs> fast and up-tempo, and yeah. the drummer gets to go... Of course. Um, so... Now you've roped in, you did in your first band, so now you're playing guitar at this point? Yeah, playing guitar. Okay. Now, because if, for something, you're, you're pretty you know, adept at keyboards. If you're playing it and getting paid to do it now, you must have... Did you take lessons somewhere along the line? Did you just like follow your ear all the you, way through this? You know, this? I had... I, was, I showed some promise, and my parents were thinking, oh, we'll see about getting him lessons, and I met with an instructor two times, Um and unfortunately, she had a cancer diagnosis oh, and no. sadly passed away. Oh, Lord. So I just never had, I just like, well, I'm not doing that again. So I just never had an instructor. <laughs> you do realize that's a small sample size. Yeah, just you're right. Just because one <laughs> well, I mean, keyboard player. This is kind of had, dark, but had I, an untimely end. I also had a drum instructor for a very short amount of time who also passed away tragically. Oh, so now you think you're now you're drawing the connection I, that you're the curse. I'm that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm the curse. So I just stayed away from people instructing. I'm I said, not I, giving you yeah. lessons. <laughs> Good idea. On anything. Good idea. We can drink beer, but I'm not going to give yeah. you lessons on anything. Uh, so now, so you're playing guitar in this band. Are you singing lead vocals at this point? Singing lead, on, only singer, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, singing lead vocals and playing guitar. Poor, you know, poor guitar, not not good guitar. Well, you don't have to be, that's the funny thing about guitar, you don't have to be a great guitar player Very true. to accompany yourself. I mean, I can, there are <laughs> hundreds, thousands of examples of what I would call lackluster guitar players who are making a living at music and who are revered as songwriters yep. and yep. musicians. So you get enough to get by. You know, you learn functionality instruments. So now, when it comes, because if you're writing and you're singing, you played more than one instrument, you can read some. Did you ever have a theory class, like a music theory class along the line? Uh, yeah. To know how that's assembled? Once in high school, I, I took a few beginner theory classes, and, and I guess I had, I knew what the circle of fifths were, but I didn't realize like i didn't know that's what it was i knew oh uh g and how it relates to d but i didn't know that that was an actual musical theory that i could right. look and, and understand it was more just a feel thing up to that point do you think that there, there are different opinions on this do you think that like knowledge all knowledge helps or like some people i have some friends who like intentionally didn't learn theory because they just wanted to like be freewheeling and do their own thing like which 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 approach is more uh, yours well i think i'm probably more in the center i think that it's a give and take and for what for not knowing what i knew i probably benefited but the reverse could be true i've been in situations where i probably would be better off knowing a bit more yeah. of the um, the theory behind what's being played. I could jump in a little bit quicker and more comfortably. Yeah. But but not knowing is good as well because a lot of times I find that where I go after a mistake is way more interesting yeah. than I could have done by just playing it proficiently. Yeah. I mean, people who have a predisposition for music, it's like a, it's a thing that you either have or you don't. Mm -hmm. Right. You can certainly develop the talent, 
But music is a thing that I, I, I'll use the word blessed. You either not, you are or are not blessed with talent for music. And even musicians, some people are blessed with the ability to sing. I know some great instrumentalists who can't sing a note, or if they do, it doesn't, you know, then they'll tell you, like, look, you don't want me singing. It's not, I'm not your guy for that, or I'm not your girl for that. Uh-huh. Um, so I, you always, I always wonder about Derek Trucks, because he's such an amazing player. I wonder, does he sing at all? I, what would his voice even sound like? I have no idea. And it's, well, it's funny you bring that up because there, there are other musicians where, like, I, I, Stevie Ray Vaughan is an example. Like, you know, I, I, you get the feeling that he started on guitar and sang, like, kind of the opposite of you and, and my, me. Uh-huh. Like, he, he played guitar, but he had to sing because he, he didn't want to just be the guitar player. So then he learned to sing and it became a, a decent enough singer, you know, a recognizable singer. Uh, you know, or, or clapped it even. You know, like, those guys could have just been, you know, I said, hey, just the guitar yeah. player, but they could have been the guitar player in a band. Yeah. Um, and then there's a guy like Steve Winwood, who's got an incredible voice. He plays guitar. He plays keyboards. Like, what can't the guy yeah. do? Yeah. I think it's stuff. funny, because I grew up, Eric Clapton later on, where I only knew him as a singer, and a lot of people knew him only as a guitar player for a very long time. And I've heard stories about him deciding or someone telling him, well, yes, you can sing if you want to. It's not that bad. And to me, right. he's a fantastic singer, but yeah. an even more phenomenal guitar player, of course. Yeah. He does have that interesting voice. I mean, I like that kind of... Like that period right before he went kind of poppy, like the, the like the mid '80s, early mm-hmm. '80s, late '70s period. Mm-hmm. Like after Cream, yep. You know, after he had been like a solo artist for a little while, he kind of had his own identity. Or he, I guess he still does, but yeah, slow hand. Yeah, slow hand. Clapton is God. That whole kind yeah. of thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw Clapton a number of times over the years, but it's been a long time. He's still playing. It's incredible. It is incredible. Incredible. How about another song? What's this? What's the next tune? Sounds great. Yeah, this is a, an old song of mine, uh, "Days to Come." And when you say old, like I wrote how? it. I wrote it in high school. Okay. Uh, so, but it, has it evolved? It's evolved. Then? Yeah, it has. It, there's probably like the last verse is probably different, but yeah. for the most part, it's the same structure. The feel is different. Yeah. Do you rewrite things all the time? Yeah. Uh huh. Interesting. I, writing. Well, let's talk about writing next. We come back. Uh-huh. Well, let's, let's play the song first. Uh, so this is Davey and the Midnights, five-piece band based out of Los Angeles, uh, professional musicians, good musicians, and this will be self-evident once you listen to this tune, if you haven't figured that out already. Uh, this is the song Days to Come, Davey and the Midnights on Independence Day. Head to fall 
And it's a railroad star And it's a railroad star I've been waiting on his words of peace Looking railroad east Looking railroad east Where the tracks go on forever Back then, Mississippi was still looking blue. Could always run my hands through her hair. She's just like sand. My baby's just like sand. Where the whole damn south is rising against me now. My world's gone mad. My world's gone mad. Where the tracks go on forever And they will never cease Last time we stopped it was 1962 You see back then Mississippi was still looking blue Where the tracks go on forever And they will never cease Last time we stopped it was 1962 You see back then Mississippi was still looking blue See back there, Mississippi was still looking blue. Just like today, Mississippi was still looking blue. I'm Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Come to you at indepthday.com. Once upon a time, we were on the radio, but these days we are fully a podcast, which in some ways is convenient because you don't have to be anywhere in particular. We're on your phone. If you've got an iPhone, you can go right to the uh, native Apple Podcasts app and look up Independence Day Radio, T apostrophe S. And uh, also, if you're by any computer, and look this up on your phone as well, indepthday.com. Follow us on Twitter at Indepthday, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Uh, love talking to musicians. This week, I'm talking to Davey Allen of Davey Allen and the Midnights. Let's talk about writing. Mm-hmm. Like how you go about doing what you do. And we can kind of tie this into what you were talking about before. So you were writing from a very early age. Yep. And like what... Do you remember what your first song was about? Hmm. Because when you're young, you know, the Beatles managed it. But, like, what do you write about? You haven't been anywhere. It was definitely a small town in Indiana. Yeah, it was definitely a love song. um, Or, you know, maybe not directly a guy-girl love song, but the feeling of love. Mm -hmm. It definitely wasn't... uh, 
uh, it wasn't a masterpiece by any means, I'm sure. I don't even recall, but I'm sure it had to do with the fixation of young love. Yeah. I mean, there are, that's the thing. That's what makes songwriting or songs, music so relatable. I mean, these are all topics that everyone can experience, at least especially when you're getting started. It's, it's so interesting to see what people write about when they're young or even as they, as they develop. You know, what, now, so nowadays, mm-hmm. now that you've got some life experience under your belt, what are, what are your topics? Like Springsteen, you know, it's like girls and cars yeah. and like working <laughs> at the mill. <laughs> you know, do you have like, like pet topics? Well, Definitely the big mama, which we heard first at the very top. That was a, a phase where I was, I, we had taken the band that I was in in Indiana before I came to California. Mike Sanson was in that band. We would travel to Nashville and play a gig. We would travel to Memphis and play a gig. You know, we were all over them, basically the I-65 corridor playing. And uh, we would see these old juke joints and I became infatuated with that that lifestyle. I would hear stories about old blues men you know, coming in armed and shooting holes through the wall and look at this particular Chicken hole. Chicken wire and, stages. Yeah, and there'd be a, a, you know, whorehouse upstairs and it may or not, may or may not still be operating at the time, you know. And uh, so I became fixated and I was writing about that. I was writing about a lifestyle that was foreign to me, like Robbie Robertson writing about the South or something like right, that. Right, you right. Know, he was Canadian. Um, nowadays, it's more, I never knew how nostalgic, or not nostalgic, how... how interesting growing up in indiana is it is a flyover state it's a very unique way to grow up and i think a lot of times people um when they think about indiana you know they think about mike pence nowadays or or whomever but they don't realize that there's there's a whole um well the arts program what we were talking about earlier is a good example that there's there is culture you just have to look a bit a little bit harder and take back a couple different layers to find it and now my writing like old river has been a lot about um, home, moving to California, seeing the Midwest from somewhere else for a long period of time, not going yeah. back for a year, a year and a half. Um, I'm seeing different parts of it that I couldn't see. I have to be on the outside looking in. So right. now I'm really into getting up in the mornings, having a cup of coffee or a smoke, sitting down with my notebook and figuring out in my mind, how can I say exactly what I'm thinking, which is about my home, but in a very um, more blurred sense. Yeah. Not so specific. Or oblique. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say, you know, one of the approaches is to write what you know, right? And that's the thing. Like when I was a kid growing up in suburban Chicago, not unlike where you grew up, it was a small town. Like we had a river. Um, you know, Fox River is not as lyrical a phrase as, uh, what was your river called? It's a Tippecanoe River. Yeah. See, Tippecanoe has got a lot of yeah. syllables. Like you can yeah. do cool stuff with that. Like Fox isn't really yeah. as interesting. Um, but you know, and, but there's romance there and it's the place it's the, you can change everything you can about your life, everything you want to change about your life, but you can't change where you came from. That's something you inherit. Yeah. You just, that's where you're from that there's what it is. You can hate it and push against it. You can love it, embrace it, whatever you want, some combination in between, Yeah. but it's still your stuff. Yep. And that's fodder. That's material. That's, you know, you, if you can learn to look like you have. Uh, at that, like something that I've I've had to learn too uh, about that, you know, because I was I always refer to myself as like I'm 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 mixed breed because I'm half Southern and half Northern. <laughs> I was born in the South, raised in the North. My father's side is from Alabama. My mother's side is from Illinois, and it's that I sixty five corridor uh-huh. you talked about. I can't tell you how much of my life I've spent on that very corridor, driving back and forth for vacations. The same. My my, my dad's family is from Tazewell, Tennessee. Not far. Or um, yeah, and so there was always going back to visit family. 
see the country. Yeah, and you even say it like someone who's from the South, Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. Huntsville is how you say the town of my <laughs> yeah. birth. You don't say Huntsville. That's how they know you're yeah. a northerner. But I mean, I identify more with the North because that's where I was raised. Those cornfields, the low rolling hills, winters, you know, seasons. Um, but I spent a lot of time in the South too, so I kind of understand it. So it's like I kind of have a foot on both camps, which has made me kind of feel like an outsider no matter where I go because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of both but yet neither, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it gives you an interesting and unique perspective. That's how I see it for myself is that I'm, yeah, half-breed, I guess, is a good way to put it because yeah. I'm, I'm definitely that thing. And I can turn on, turn on an accent, you know, when it's necessary. Yeah. Or, or sometimes when I get around certain people, you know, it, it turns on by itself. Interesting. But it, it, it is. It's, it's two different mindsets. It's two different paces of life. Yeah. And I can kind of dip into both when I want. It's two a, approaches. And yeah, like two approaches. Perspectives. Yep. Like the whole perspective is different in the South from what I can tell. And a guy, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people love Jason Isbell, as do I. Mm-hmm. Uh, love his music. Because when I was younger, I would go there and think, like, well, how could you, like, what do you write about when you're from this, like, podunk town in rural Alabama? And look what he's done. Yeah. Writing about the, that, you know, all the drive-by truckers and all the other great artists. Like, I, it, was, it was, the limitation was mine. Yep. Not someone else's exactly. self-imposed. That's what it took me coming, going somewhere else rather, yeah, and sticking there for a moment to really digest what I had been living the whole time, where I thought it was silly. Or I mean, Old River itself is is about what the line in is. It is you've been by my side, given hope in disguise, your watery flow. I had this. I was stuck in my mind. I felt stuck in this place, and the the river went into another river, which right. went into another river, which kept going to the ocean. And to me, that was a an absolutely beautiful uh, metaphor that I could hold on to. Yeah. Not even a metaphor, but something that I could hold on to and um, and, and and have hope that, that I was going yeah. someplace, that I wasn't going to be in this place forever. Yeah, well, it's your connection. You know, and if you draw, if you take that again to a next step, like the highway is the same thing. Like, you know, people love to romanticize the highway. It started with Kerouac the Eisenhower system went in in the 50s that connected all the cities with these big interstates. And even before the interstates, there were still roads. And, you know, once you could afford a car in American culture, you were free to an extent. Yep. I mean, you could just go. You know, you could, as long as the money didn't run out, you could drive to any city. Yep. You know, and that's something that looms large in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you write about that, everyone gets what you're talking about. It's funny because the interstate system, while it connected a lot of people and places, it kind of annexed my hometown. It was kind of the downturn for my hometown right, because right, right. Uh, US 2421 goes through Monticello and it was the connector from Chicago to Indianapolis. We'd have artists, right, musicians right, right, right. that were coming through town and that was a gas gig. Um, so there was all kinds of bands through the 40s, 50s, and even the 60s that shouldn't be coming to Monticello, Indiana, a town of 5,000 people, but they were. Once the interstate was put in 20 miles away or so, give right. or take, then all of a sudden nobody's coming through town. It's just right. the people that live there. Killed a lot of towns. Yeah. Like if you follow, you know, there's people who follow Route 66, mm-hmm. which starts 15, 20 miles from where I grew up and ends 15 <laughs> or 20 miles from where I live right now. <laughs> And that's a whole thing. I mean, there's the song, and there's books, and there's like people who still yep. try to follow it, and you yeah. can still follow portions of it, yeah. which I've done myself. I just played a Route 66 festival in Europe. So, Whoa! And it was like all they wanted that American. Yeah. And I don't know how many of them had actually traveled Route 66 or been through, but they did their best to look the part. Yeah, and if you travel I-40, Interstate 40, which is the interstate that mostly goes where, sort of, where 60s, it's, it's I-55 sort of down through Illinois until it crosses over the Mississippi near St. Louis. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if you follow it, there are a lot of towns, much like yours, that, you know, because westward expansion was such a big thing in our culture, even through the 60s when people were coming to California. Um, the interstate will, just like your town, sometimes it isn't 20 miles, sometimes it's just like five or even three. Yeah. The interstate's just outside of town. And then, like, the business spur is like this spur that, like, runs through the downtown. And if, you, if it's the county seat, there's a square. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when Walmart came, like that was the final nail in that coffin. Like when yeah. Walmart came, because they put it out by the interstate, oh yeah, not close to town. And next thing you know, all those businesses are shuttered, and then you get a Springsteen song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, this is good for the art. At least there's yeah. someone there to take up the the torture, make it be known that this is happening. There's documentation of yeah. it. Yeah, well, strife. You know, strife is good for art. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I always try to figure out like, are there any happy songs that you like? It's totally off topic, but like. Of my own or anyone's? There's anyone's like because it's it's I always like depressing music. My mm. buddy teases me. He says I like sad bastard music. Yeah, I, you know I really right. like sad songs that are happy. But as far as just a happy song, hmm, I'm sure I do. My favorite is Johnny Nash's "I Can See Clearly Now." There we I go. I can see clearly because it's a great yeah. song. And that he's such a pure tenor, Johnny Nash. I thought he was a chick, <laughs> like when I was a kid, because yeah. he's such a high pure yeah. voice. And it's like I figure, oh, that's a dude. Right, there's love, no growl to it. There's no growl, and I love that tune to this very day. Anyway, my guest this week, Davey Allen of Davey Allen and the Midnights. Um, we're talking about writing. Let's talk some more about writing, like how you like how how many songs had you written ballpark? Do you think before you felt like you were comfortable showing it to somebody or playing it for somebody, or you thought it was good from by your perspective? Hmm. I would say I had probably written like a dozen or so songs, and then yeah. I, and then. I was like, oh, I'm going to show somebody what I've been working on. Because I, I, I remember being a young kid and thinking, oh, I'm discovering this music. I'm figuring out what it means to me. And I'm going to try to do that same thing, to have a voice. And the first couple I know were probably really bad. Yeah. And uh, I finally showed my, my parents. And I, I remember them being somewhat underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hard for a parent, especially if they're not music fans themselves. Like, is them they're gonna gauge it. Like, if they're musicians, they can gauge it by where you are in your career. Even though they're you're their son and they undoubtedly love you, yeah. Um, they're not going to be able to judge it. Like, they're gonna compare it to like what exactly. they're listening to. Yeah, and that's it, not it was the best thing for me because yeah. I immediately I didn't turn me off. I was like, "What? You don't care what I'm doing? I'm going to do it better." So yeah. then it was my goal to try to yeah, impress yeah, yeah. them, you know, or something. Totally. Uh, and that's everybody's funny with their parents, like those those ghosts. Like you know, everyone's like saddled with whatever their parents like inadequacies they felt they had, uh-huh. because then they kind of push on you the things that they wish they thought they'd done. You know, it's, it's the parenting is so key. Do you have mm-hmm. siblings? I ha- yeah, I do. I have a uh, I have a sister. Music? Uh, does she do music as well? Uh, she's not a musician. No, so you're like the only one. Yeah. Yeah. You and I could be brothers, man. Seriously, <laughs> because I'm I'm like the only musician. Like I have my I have a brother. He he has a guitar and a mandolin. Sometimes uh-huh. he listens. Thanks for listening, Mike. If you are listening, love you, man. Um, and he has, you know he's got a guitar. He tinkers with it. I don't think he's ever written a song. He's never played in a band. I don't think he's ever had a lesson. I think they might have a mandolin around the house. And my youngest sister, like she was like the the hope, like uh-huh. the next Armstrong music hope. Uh, I'm the oldest. And there were three more than my younger sister. But then my folks moved to an area. They moved to the South where there wasn't much of a music program. And that was kind of that. Mm-hmm. Like, they all like music. They love music. Yeah. Uh, my whole family went to see Pink Floyd once. 
Oh, wow. Like all seven of us, which was a big deal. See, that would have been my dad's, because my dad, I've said he's before he's a big music fan, and Pink Floyd, I think, is his probably favorite band. If mm-hmm. he could take his whole family to see Pink Floyd, oh, wow. he, he might die. Yeah, the, the, the joy just might be too great. <laughs> well, I hope they get the chance. Well, I guess yeah. Pink Floyd's probably not going to do anything else. I just saw Gilmore not too long ago. Yeah? Actually. Still good, man. He's amazing. Uh-huh. He's over 70 years old. He's as good as he's ever been. Very impressive stuff. Um, so we're talking about writing. Uh, where do I want to go? I want to ask you about writing in terms of this. So now, now at this point, so you'd written like 10 or 12. Oh, this is what I was going to say. I'm huh. so sorry. Like, I wish someone had told me that, like, just go write some crappy songs. Like, not as an insult, but like basically given me permission, like almost like a therapist. I give you permission to write crappy songs. Because uh-huh. then I wouldn't have been so like afraid of doing it, like expecting my first songs to be great. Right. Because I'm, they were not. Right. You know, it takes time. It takes time. It's, it's like any it's other skill. You've got to learn it and learn your voice, you know, because your first... Were, were you emulating? Because everybody is a young musician. It's like there's someone you idolize, someone you love. I, at first, I wasn't, but there was a definite turn. I had heard Bob Dylan, but when I... I it's so funny. I asked, I meant to buy a comprehensive album set of Johnny Cash, and when I got home, I, it, it was like a series that they were doing of different artists, okay. and I thought I had bought the Johnny Cash one. And I got home, and it was a Bob Dylan one. And mm. I, at first, I was thinking, the blowing in the wind guy, this is ridiculous. I don't want this. I'm that guy it. can't sing. Right. I put it in, and then there was a. Then I started to, before. I don't think I was consciously emulating one anyone. But then once I discovered Bob Dylan, then I was like, the imagery is what caught me. And I was like, yeah. how, how does someone do this? How does someone take from a ground floor and build up this big house that I can see in my mind? And how can I do that? Yeah. And with Dylan, it's not just a house. It's a oh, universe. It's a whole universe. It's a universe. Every song in itself. Yeah. And it's it's like he still, like the, the lyrics just tumble out of it. I have no idea how he does it. No clue. It's it's like he, he really is tapped into uh, like another level of creative force that I don't, you know, most musicians probably won't ever, you know, even great musicians. Like everyone's got their thing, but Dylan's on another level. Um, that said, it, it sounds funny. This is like sacrilege to some people, but I prefer Neil Young to Bob Dylan. Uh-huh. Like his, like... Lyrically, Neil is simpler in a way. Um, melodically, it's more interesting to me. And mm-hmm. like, uh, I think the music aspect of Neil, personal opinion, is more is deeper. Yeah, he's got more haunting chord changes, I think, than Dylan. Dylan tends to stick to more simpler. Yeah, chord. you can definitely tell when when Neil does his thing by himself. When it's just him and an organ or him and a guitar. Yeah, I mean, like Dylan, Dylan can can stand alone as well, but. When Neil Young does that, it's like it's palpable. It's it is extremely, extremely spiritual the way he does it. Yeah. And Dylan is imagery, and and I think Neil Young is spiritual. What is that record that they just released of Neil Young stuff? That like seventy six. That it's it's the kind of demos yeah. he did. It's got all kinds of stuff. I guess it's got a, one of my favorite songs he did live, which I think it's just him. The Pocahontas. The whole thing is solo. It's, it, just, oh, him it's, just, it's just him. It's just him. Like he plays mostly guitar, but I think there's either some organ or pump organ or maybe piano. Yeah. I don't remember. I only listened to it once so far. Um, but it's yeah, it's like it's like nascent versions of Pocahontas of um, Hurricane. Is that on there? No, I know he does a pump organ version that I've heard of that that I really like. Yeah. Uh, what there's uh, yeah Pocahontas. There's God, there's some other ones on there too. Um, that because some of them are like not formed yet. And some of them are like pretty much all the way there. Uh-huh. No, I haven't listened to it. But I heard about it. But it's it's good enough to stand on its own. I would recommend everyone check that out if they can. I mean, it's easy to find. Um, so, 
trying to think. There's like one more question I was going to ask you about writing. So now, like, like, talk about like where you are now in terms of writing. Because everyone kind of approaches it differently as they become a more uh, confident writer. Uh-huh. They learn your voice, both physically and artistically. Um, like, where are you now with your writing? Are you pretty comfortable with it? Do you push yourself? Do you do it every day? Are you prolific? I, I try to do it every day. I don't, I don't try to analyze it too much because I, I feel like if I analyzed it, I would lose it. Uh, but I do try to every day. I, I, I heard a while back, and this is very common, but the best way to improve as a writer is to write. And I, oh, I yeah. think so that that's what I tried to do. I've tried, whereas before I wasn't doing that. I was whenever I was struck with a melody or if I was struck with something I wanted to do, I would try to do a song. But now I, I don't care if I write a bad song as long as I'm writing something. Yeah. Whereas I didn't want to write a bad song. But now I don't care. I'll just yeah. put it aside and I'll re- come back and rewrite. Yeah. Or at least there's an idea going. Yeah, I call those seeds. Seeds, yep. Like the very first thing that, you know, and some of those seeds will be fallow. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll never really develop in anything. But... Like I was on a flight recently and I tend to, like, cause I'm a captive audience, I tend to review my seeds cause I've uh-huh. got hundreds and hundreds of these going back 20 years. And I will, I'll just pick, you know, a lot of them are on my phone, some of them are on my iPod, which I still actually have. And I'll go back and I'll just like, kind of like a needle drop. I'll like flip to them like 342. Yeah. Like, okay, we're, and then start moving forward from there. And some of them are 10 seconds long, some of them are three minutes long. And I'll just start listening and I'll make notes like, oh, okay, I can do something with that. That's yeah, not so much, not so much. And the, but the other fun thing is, like when I do that, sometimes I stumble across the seed from songs because I've got two records now. I'm working on a third, and I hear like the the very kernel of that idea that then eventually became something that wound up on a record. Yep. And that's interesting for me. It's fascinating to see how it changed or how much I retained. Yep. You know. Uh, anyway, now I'm talking too much. Uh, my guest this week, Davy Allen. His band is called the Midnights. Uh, five-piece band that's including Davey. Davey, in this band, you play acoustic guitar primarily? Uh, I, I do primarily. Well, I split. I, I play keys as well in this band, okay. but for today, today we did acoustic. acoustic. Yep. So uh, that's see, I like that when artists do that. Again, that's a Neil Young thing. Like sometimes, I mean, Dylan did that when I saw him play live. He barely played any guitar. He played some dopey chord keyboard the whole time. I was pissed off. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, he's not my monkey. He doesn't need to dance for me, but like, come on. Like don't I mean it wasn't even a good keyboard. Like if he had played the same thing on a Wurlitzer two hundred A, I yeah. would have been completely satisfied. Uh-huh. Or a B three or even a regular piano for the love of God, Bob. <laughs> anyway, Davy Allen's my guest. How about another song, man? We'll come back. I want to talk about the big elephant in the room. So what's this next tune? Let's do the way it is. And uh, so this is a, a song that kind of kind of happened like that. It was a kernel that I had that I had a seed, and uh, it sat for maybe a couple years. And I came back to it on the phone and saw it and thought it would be a great fit for the Midnights. Yeah. All right. So I can't wait for the red. So have you gone to the studio yet for these? Like you haven't even gotten that far. Like we have, we've we've been rehearsing in Inglewood for the past six months or so. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're really diving into these songs and learning them inside and out. And but it's about that time this week, in fact. Very cool. All right. Well, we look forward to hearing that. You'll have to come back when the record comes out. I can't wait to hear that. So this is Davy and the Midnights. The song is "The Way It Is" on Independence Day.
Great song. That is Davey and the Midnights on Independence Day. As always, I am Joe Armstrong. Drop by indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com to hear this and close to 200 other episodes. We're going to do something special for the 200th uh, episode. I'm not sure exactly what that is yet, but it's coming up, and I better start making something up, otherwise it will slip away from me. Uh, we did a big, uh, we did like a party for the 100th. We had Brian Whelan came to play. Uh-huh. Uh, some other folks came to play. I can't remember who else was on the bill that time. Good bands. Congratulations, by the way. It's quite the Thank feat. you. Thank you. It's been a lot of work, but it's definitely a labor of love. And I love talking to musicians. Um, love meeting musicians, seeing how they do what they do. Um, I always joke that this show is really just an extension of what I was already doing, which was talking to my friends in the bar. Uh, in the pub, I like to say, about how we're dealing with the changes in the music business. And that was the, that was the idea for the, for the show. And then I thought, well, that can actually, why don't I just record those conversations? Throw in some songs, and here we are in the era of podcasting. I've got my own damn radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Davey, thank you for being part of it, man. I appreciate that so much. So we've got one more live song we're going to hear from you in just a couple minutes. I'm going to kick you out of here. Um, also, drop by, uh, if you go to the website, there's one more song, Easy Breeze, great tune. Uh, very little feet. Can I? I think I referred to it as like somewhere between little feet and the dead. Yeah, which kind of loom large over. Yeah, this the band. guitar player Greg Cahill. He he uh, he wanted to kiss you after you said that because that, <laughs> those are like his two big influences. So he he was pretty excited. I appreciate that. I saw the dead live uh-huh. on numerous occasions. Uh, never got never got to see little feet. Lowell George had passed on by the mm-hmm. time. Like they they had a resurgence, but like the low. I love little feet. Love uh, love Lowell George. Uh-huh. Incredible guitar player. Good writer too. Good stuff. Um, so, but before we play that last song, I want to talk about like working as a sideman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Eric Burden, legendary musician from the Animals, mm-hmm. as in uh, House of the Rising Sun, as in uh, 
where they don't let me be misunderstood. Was that the animals yep. as well? Oh, yeah. uh, like other, and he was also involved in war. Yep. He's still at it, still out there doing that. And that's kind of your day job, sort of. Exactly. Playing keyboards. That's how and I pay the bills. Thing. Exactly. So my first question for you is, do you get to play that like wicked awesome keyboard solo from House of the Rising Sun? <laughs> that's uh, the very first time that we went to play it. We, he'd put it off. Eric said, you know, from early on that, yeah. that, that we don't need to rehearse it. It, it. We'll leave it alone. And so the last rehearsal or so before we went out on tour for the first time with Eric, I had learned the solo just verbatim of nope, what Alan, nope. Alan Price had done. And I get there, and I'm just so excited, and I rip into it. And Eric, stop, stop. That's the way Pricey did it. Please come up with something else. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do it something else, yeah. Well, I, 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 I'll do a couple licks here yeah. and there that sound like it, but, uh, but for the most part, I'm, I'm kind of doing a dueling solo with the sax player. We have yeah, a sax yeah. player in the band. Well, hats off to him uh-huh. for like having the courage... Again, legacy artists like him approach these things in different ways. Like some people, like are cognizant. Like if you ever see Don Henley or the Eagles, like everything's note for note, you know. And that's a skill too. Oh yeah, it that's is. a skill. It's a different approach, especially for a band like the Eagles, where everything was so arranged. Yep, they were like the Steely Dan of country rock. Like everything yep. was like in its place, and they labored over syllables and how they fit in. And whether you love it or hate it, it's well crafted. It is know? well crafted. Um. That's my research assistant, Dorothy June, down there. Grunting <laughs> That's at how me. she feels about it. She's happy about it. Um, Jazz fan. She hates. She's like the dude. Maybe she hates yeah. the Eagles. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, but uh, kudos to him for having the presence of mind to be like you know he he. I hope he appreciated the fact that you went through the effort. I think so. Oh, yeah, you know? most definitely. It wasn't lost on him. I don't think that I yeah that I learned it like that. And he probably thought it was kind of cute. So like now, now con- there's a lot of connecting of the dots in this episode with your with your career. But now connect the dots. Like how did you get? Give me the short version. How you got from like the kid playing like songs that you wrote and playing Wipeout and like did you go to college? No, just started okay. playing music. Right so away. so like how did you get from that point? Like after high school, you're 18 or so to yep. like playing with a, a, a rock legend. Yeah, well, same guys playing with Mike. We had a band, and we started going to Memphis, started going to Nashville, started traveling all over and playing bar gigs. I mean, we were, we were a bar the band. Van. We were in the van. We're going. We're doing it. And uh, after a few years, I became more interested in the art side of it and less the entertain. I could always entertain. Um, the, the art aspect of music was something that I was discovering, and after a while, um, ended up in California, uh, started playing with a band and the my friend Justin. He uh, got got word that Eric Burden was in need of a band, and and he thought of me, and it was a very very nice deal. I got to show up and and meet Eric, and he came out and was very quiet and stone faced. And um, after a few songs, he was just like, "You boys want to go to Australia?" Like, yeah, we'll wow. go. Wow, that easy, huh? <laughs> that easy. Was it just like a? Did, was there a production or like a musical director or a production manager who like uh, said, learn Justin, these five songs and then show up at this rehearsal space? I mean, he's, he's enough, he's yeah. established enough that there's got to be some kind of infrastructure. Yeah, I, there was definitely, I mean, the, I, I don't know in, in what order it all happened, but when I got the, the call, it was that it was for one tour, basically. It wasn't, I've been with Eric for an, a year and a half now or more. And at the time it was just one tour going to Australia. And, uh, Basically, Justin, my friend, he he was asked to be the MD. Okay. So we're, we're coming fresh in with Eric, pretty much a whole new crew. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we learned he was really excited about 
us learning a, a, a Lead Belly song. Um, my girl, my girl, Angela. Uh, where did you sleep last night? That's oh, not the yeah, name yeah. of the song. I can't think of the song. Um, but we learned that song and basically got the gig off of that one song. It was after we played that one. We went into the studio, uh, Brethren Studios in Ojai, and we went, sat down. I couldn't even see Eric. He was in a in an isolation booth. I was in an ISO booth with the piano. The other band was in the other room. Wow. And uh, he, no, just go, just play and I'll sing. And so we just started into it and we finished it and he was like, that's it. Okay, you got the gig. To all of you or to you specifically? To all of us. We, wow. we all came in as a band together. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have tons of friends. The guys who are in my band are like jobbing musicians and they're taking tours and they're gone for three weeks or a month or two months and they're playing all kinds of music. You know, they'll go... You know, as when you're a young working musician, when you're an old working musician, any point in your career, if like if you're a working musician, you take the gig. Of course. You say yes. Lead with you, yes. That's will, what I always say. Will Lead it with pay? Yes. You know, you can say no later. No is a luxury. Right. Successful musicians will tell you. Like when you get to our actors too, when you get to the point when you can say no, now you're somewhere. Right. Like initially it's like, you know, my my buddy Michael, wedding gig in Tahoe, three hundred bucks, I'm there. Yep. You know, wedding gig in, you know, <laughs> bar mitzvah in yeah. San Diego, yep. 150 bucks. I'm there. Yeah, I'm still there. Yeah. I'm still doing that. That's And I and there's a part of me that loves that. I, I do a, a pretty regular gig at the nursing home that's right by my house. And I love it. You know, it, it's my drinking money. And yeah. uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge because it's not always a receptive audience. Right. So, like, I have to question, why am I doing this? Where The... Um, self-absorbing part of music kind of stripped right. away in that moment. I kind of yeah. get a, like a reset. People forget every industry is like this, where like the top three to one, three percent is getting the lion's share of the work, the lion's share of the money, the lion's share of the accolades, the limos, the flash pots, the lasers, the light show, like that stuff's great. But I think the disconnect with their general public about the music business is that they see those artists because that's the artists that they buy uh-huh. or stream or whatever, buy the T-shirt, go to see the concert, what have you. They they don't make the connection that that's only them doing that, right? Most musicians, musicians who are extremely well-known, players who are exemplary players on their instruments are still scrapping around, hustling, working, you know? And you guys are no exception. I mean, I imagine all the guys in your band are probably like this, yeah, right? Yeah, the hustle is strong. You know, I, the, I have to share these guys with a lot of other bands because that's the name of the game. And I, and I, I did that myself. Now I'm more focused on mostly just Eric and myself. And I play in one other band, Lost Beach. Uh, but for the most part, I'm doing this. But these other guys, you know, they've, they don't have that, that passion. They're, maybe Greg's writing songs, but I know. So they're, they're, they're needing other sources right. to survive. And I and that's that's part of that's part of the game, especially in Los Angeles, I know, and probably other places as well. And it's funny too because people can sometimes get almost judgy, like if you're still working at the bar. Right. Or, you know, or if you're building houses. I built houses for a while uh-huh. as a musician, but a bartender. I always tell people the phrase for me is you ask me what I do and I say, Well, I'm a musician, which means I'll do anything you'll pay me to do. <laughs> like in the past, you know, decade or so I mean, I wanted something a little more stable, and I got into radio. You know, I was kind of probably a stupid choice, right? It's not the best time to get into radio. <laughs> it's looks, it's just like everything that looks glamorous, right? But actually, you know, look, I like a lot of it. You know, it's not like I hate it in my life, but like, it's hard. It's a weird time to be in media. It is. Know? 
um, music is the same thing. It's just an extension of that, really. Trying to find the footing. Well, yeah, the way it's trying to monetize it. Mm -hmm. Same as music. Like, how do you monetize something that's free now? Now, radio was always free, but now there's way more competition for advertising dollars. Right. Now it's streaming, and it's it's all, everything's free. Everything's free. Um, but somebody's, you know, it's yeah. got to get paid somewhere. Otherwise, yeah. it's not happening. I've had to, like, try to turn my brain off about it because I know there was a time, maybe a few years back, when I was, the album that I did a few years back that we listened to Big Mama, I was trying in my head to figure it out, like, how am I going to make money right. and continue to do this? Now I have, because of the Eric Burden thing, I can not worry about that as much. Right. And uh, it, it's been beneficial because now I can focus more on the art. I had to. Otherwise, right. it was going to kill the whole thing. If yeah. I didn't turn off a little bit, wondering where it's going to go. And now, more than ever before, musicians are having to wear more hats. Exactly. Right? You can't just be the music guy. Like It was kind of always that way for scrapping musicians, but now it's way more than ever before because there are more demands. Like You can't... Good Lord. Now you got to have a YouTube channel. you got to have an Instagram account. you got to tweet every five minutes, and you've got to do these things. And it's like, even though you love the stuff, like now you're doing more and more things that aren't really music. Right. Doing all these other things. Now it's part of it. Like you better learn to love it somehow. Yep. Um, few are the artists who can get away with just not doing it at all. Right. Some of them do. A few. But, but you're 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 the CEO and you're the yeah, custodian. Totally. You're all, I, and all I had to above. learn for this show as well as my music career that you know YouTube is important. I'd better put those videos up there. It's it's that's where people are going to hear about this show. And now at this point, you know, I spend all this time talking to people, but people watch the videos of the songs on YouTube, and that's you know maybe the thing I get the most hits. I don't even want to go down that road because I don't do this for hits or likes or clicks or whatever. I do it because I love it. Um, but that said, I do want people to hear this. Mm -hmm. You know, I work hard in this. I want yeah. people to I learn about if you. If you believe in it. And that's, and that's what it came yeah. down to me is that I had to be like, well, if I believe it, I'm going to at least try, attempt on yeah. certain levels to make it so that people hear or see. And uh, I guess it goes back to the nursing home thing to like, I have to cleanse myself and reset every once right. in a while because you have to be your biggest it's fan. It's like an ego check point. too. An ego, complete ego check. Complete, because you, you have to believe and enjoy what you do to some level to to put it out there, continue to go through the motion to, to make it happen. But, right. but when you become completely self-absorbed by it, then it's just trash. Yeah. And I always wonder, you know, getting success in the music business, I always tell people that uh, you don't, people say what they would do if they won the lottery. Oh, I wouldn't be a jerk. I wouldn't move to the fancy part of town. I wouldn't do this, that, or the other thing. But I don't feel like you actually know until you actually have yep. that. It's like the Heisenberg's thing where you is, is by being part of the situation changes how it really actually is. Exactly. And music success is kind of the same way. Like you like to think, well, I'm not going to be a jerk to my opening act. Right? You'd like to think that. And I and I would hope that I wouldn't be, but I don't who knows. Yeah. You know? You won't know until you're there, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. You don't know until you're there. I want to talk about I have one more question and then uh -huh. I want you guys I want you guys to play this last song. Um talk to me about how you change hats. This is a metaphor uh, from being the sideman with a, you know, because, you know, Eric's playing big shows, right? Like, how, he's in theaters these days? Yeah. Festivals? We, like, how festivals, big theaters. Um, yeah. That's a good thing about two, the boomers. Three, the boomers will show up and plunk down money. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the festivals are definitely more mixed crowd. But I would yeah. say the theaters, because it's uh, assigned seating, it's, it's yeah. an older crowd. 2,500 seats. Yep. Cap, 25 that to 3. Yep. Okay, so like you know, obviously you can make a living at that as he's paying the band, um, you and your cronies. Um, but tell me how you change that from working with him because I know a lot of musicians like that who are touring with a top tier artist, 
sometimes on a private plane. They come home, now they're in LA, and now they got to go play Cinema Bar. Or they, I don't say they have to go play Cinema Bar. They want to play Cinema Bar, yeah. um, as I do myself. But like, how do you make that switch? You know, do you, how do you approach them differently? Like, is, is it? Mm. Well, I get, I get two different joys. I think that's probably how I do it. I've never really considered it, but if I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head, it's, I get two different joys from it because I know that going and playing at whatever bar or whatever street corner or just on the beach or wherever, that's, I get to do what I love. And though, you know, as much as I do love Eric Burden and, and the gig that I have with Eric Burden, I, I've always wanted to be. The songwriter. I, it goes back to I learned the keyboards, which I'm doing in Eric Burden's band, so that I could be a singer, and it's and it's it's a great opportunity. But the joy of playing in front of 2,500 or 3,000 people, or we played a gig that was like 30,000 people, yeah. and that joy is an amazing high, and it'll yeah. keep you high for a few days. Yeah. But the joy of being able to play your art, what you love, what you want to put into the world. Yeah. That is more sustaining. That's a slow burn. Yeah. Instead of a flash in the pan. The long game. It's a long game. Another way to look at it. Yep. You know, and I I hope I hope this continues to catch on. I hope that you guys, you know, are able to do this under your own thing. I've had musicians that I know had to make that choice, like when to leave that gig to then go out and do their own thing. And that's a big it's hard to leave that nest. You know, when you show up and there's a green room and there's a food's prepared for you and you took a private jet to the gig and it's not a long tour, so you like fly in. It's like a fly date. You fly in, fly out. You're home during the week to be with your dog or your girl or your whatever. And then to go do it at the van or car level, very, very yeah. different experience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to remember, this is what you love. This yeah. is what you love. And you're, well, you're, you're handling it with a plum. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I'm happy to hear that you're doing this. I mean, I like the music that you do, um, and I hope that you continue to do so. What's this last song going to be? This uh, is Lucinda. Lucinda. Yep. About someone you know, or is this? This a is a kind person? of a, a crossover of the Eric Burden into my life because Lucinda Williams came to one of our shows uh, in Nashville, and I got to meet her. I hadn't met her, and she was so interesting that I, I was like, I have to write a song about it. I, it's funny because I changed some of the words in it so it wouldn't be about Lucinda Williams, but I'm just giving it away here. So Right. <laughs> well, I think Tom Waits has a song about Lucinda as well. I don't know uh, if it's Lucinda Williams. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a very lyrical name. Yeah. Like, again, there's that syllabic thing about writing. Like, uh, like writing a song about a girl named Kate would be a very different thing, but writing a song about a girl named Catherine uh-huh. would be different. There's more to work with there, right? Yep. The Fox River versus the Tippecanoe River. Yep. Right? Um lyrical phrases like I have a song called uh, Lightning Bug because where I grew up that was a very romantic summer thing oh. lightning bugs and they glow and it's amazing but catch them in a jar yeah catch them in a jar put some grass in there put them on your nightstand and set them loose in the morning if they didn't die during the yeah. night which is cruel <laughs> but whoops uh but I didn't want lightning bug is not a lyrical lyrical phrase. It sounds German. Lightning bug, right? Right. But firefly, firefly. Even though we didn't call them fireflies in the song, I used the word firefly mm-hmm. because that it's got alliteration with the f and the f, and it's it's that you can rhyme with that and do stuff with that. So it's like once you figure that stuff out about your language and about how you work with it, like you're off and running. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this is the song Lucinda, which may or may not be about Lucinda Williams. The artist is <laughs> Davy in the Midnight's, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Davy and the Midnight's on Independence Day. Oh, 
come, let me tell you a story A story that is old as time I was in love with a dark hair Lucinda, baby, you're sublime I like my nights with Lucinda Rock my world She let the music sway her She gave her body to the night She's the boss and don't I know it Rock my world Early, early morning To late in the night Hearts, souls, minds And all this Davey, boys, thank you so much. Great song. All these songs were great. Uh, I look forward to hearing what you do in the studio. I'd love to be a fly on that wall because I love that process. One of my favorite things is going in the studio to make records. I'm about to do it myself. As soon as I rob the next bank or liquor store, I need some money for that purpose. Uh, you can learn about Davey and the Midnights at DaveyandTheMidnights.com. DaveyAllenMusic.com for his uh, previous incarnation as a blues artist. Uh, you can see him on the road with Eric Burden. Got lots of dates. Not many to the end of the year. Like you guys are kind of on a break, right? Yeah, just a few fly dates. We're going to be in Laguna Beach mm-hmm. at the Irvine Bowl uh, in December, Vegas, things like that. Yeah, lots of fly dates for yeah. people. Baby boomers were going to plunk down the money to go see, see oh, yeah. Eric Burden play those shows. Uh, do you get to sing? In the Burden shows? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I even got to open for Eric. Oh, well, in the yeah, shows. well now you're in like yeah. Flynn. Look at you. Yeah. Awesome. I'd- uh, and but they're playing actually this Friday night. That's October the sixth at Deer the Deer Lodge in Ojai. Correct. Beautiful place. Ojai's a nice place. Kind of a hall, a little bit. A little bit. Like a day trip kind yep. of thing. Uh, Cinema Bar the following week. That's next week, uh, October the tenth. 
and then Melrose Trading Post in Los Angeles on November the 5th as well. And I'm sure there'll be more dates down the road. So man, Davey and company, thank you guys so much. Uh, Davey Allen, Greg Cahill, Brandon Conway, Corey Dawson, and Mike Mambo Sanson is the band, The Midnights. And uh, Davey, thank you. Thank you, Joe, very Appreciate much. Appreciate it. Stay in touch. Enjoyable. Let's get a pint one of these days. Hey, it sounds good. All right, so thanks to Davey Allen and The Midnights, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The formidable Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Thanks, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out as well. As always, for Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong, and more than ever before, if you do anything today, please be good to one another. <laughs>